So hi, everybody. Good morning. Um, my name is Annie Peters, and I am on the board of the NAATP, and I'd like you to welcome, I'd like to welcome you to the NAATP National Conference. And this is an exciting morning. Uh, I'm very excited. I'm a board member. I'm also a Coloradan, so I am the chief clinical officer at Harmony Foundation up in Estes Park, Colorado. And I just have a few announcements this morning and a welcome, and then we'll get started. So, all right. Uh, so first of all, I just I have about two minutes. I just wanted to to say something because I was really inspired last night by Marvin's talk, and uh, just got me really excited to be here and really proud to be part of NAATP. So um, this is important work we're doing. Uh, the Quality Assurance Initiative um, is a is moment. This is a momentous time, um, and as a I'm a psychologist, so. As a psychologist, when I look at the QAI and I see, you know, the, primarily this is about good business practice. Um, and there is a component of the QAI that is about good clinical practice. That's not typically what uh, NAATP focuses on, but as a clinician, that's kind of where my ear goes. And uh, so, you know, my background as, as a psychologist, I went to CU Boulder, and at CU Boulder, the model there, the Boulder model, is scientist-practitioner. So I consider myself first a scientist and then a practitioner. So I'm going to be talking later today about marrying science and practice. And uh, the QAI, I think, marries science, practice, and good business practice. Uh, so I see this as an important time for, for all of us to work together um, as, as scientists, as practitioners, and as marketers and uh, leaders in the field. So. Um, I just want to say, too, another thing I was kind of inspired by was I saw John Oliver last night. And uh, if you haven't seen that yet, it's fantastic. And um, he talks about exactly what we're talking about here, so it's very timely. And I was thinking, um, he mentions about who should you go to if you have a family member or a loved one who needs addiction treatment. And his, uh, what he mentioned was a board-certified addictionologist. And as a psychologist, I thought, no, you need to go to a psychologist. Um, of course, that's, that's where I go. But I was thinking about, you know, who, who would I go to? Um, you know, I, I would look at a treatment center, and from my perspective, I would look at what are the evidence-based practices they're using, and, and what are the licensures of the people that work there, and what kind of work do they do? And then who else would I go to? I would, I would go to the AID. I would look at who is um, on the NAATP addiction inventory. So I would look at, at that, and then I thought about, you know, I don't know the marketing piece as well. So I would go to the marketers that I trust. I'd go to Gina Thorne. I'd go to Nikki Soda. And um, so I see that all of us have to work together. I'm a, a person who is, um, on one hand, a practitioner, and then on the other hand, a person in recovery. And so I see that, um, you know, I was someone who went to addiction treatment. So I realize the value of residential addiction treatment, and I realize the value of good clinical practice, and um, you know, I just see that we're here today to sort of bring this all together, to work together, so that we can marry all these things um, and really provide good services to people. Um, so I just have an, a couple of morning announcements. Um, so first of all, I would just like to thank all the sponsors uh, that have made this event possible. Um, Yes, I'm going to mention them. Yeah. 
so our tier one sponsors, we'd like to especially thank those. So Ashley Addiction Treatment, Karen Treatment Centers, Cumberland Heights, Hazel and Betty Ford, Seabrook, and NSM Insurance. So thank you very much. If you go to page 16 in your conference program, you can see all of the sponsors page and everyone who's helped make this event possible. Um, we want to remind everybody to, if you haven't downloaded the app yet, uh, to please do that. It's a fantastic app. Um, and uh, the, the two sponsors that really made that app possible, Gosnold on, on Cape Cod and Seabrook. So thank you very much for making that possible. It's a fantastic resource. Also the Wi-Fi, which it, so far for me has been working 100% excellently well, which is very exciting. So we'd like to thank Northbound Treatment for making that possible. Thank you. And for the delicious breakfast this morning, uh, we'd like to thank Rosecrans Health Networks and Beacon House, which is an affiliate of Gateway Foundation. So thank you. So hopefully you'll enjoy everything that is on the schedule today. And tonight there is not a scheduled activity, so just enjoy yourselves and have fun and, and connect with people. Um, thank you to all of our exhibitors. And uh, there is an exhibitor list and a floor map on page 34, 35 of your program, so you can find everybody. Um, if you use the form in there uh, it's on, to visit all 30 booths, uh, you get initials and you get uh, entered into a drawing. So you can then give that list of all the, the, the booths to the front desk there, the uh, registration desk. Um, also, I'm very excited about the ice cream social, which is uh, tomorrow at 3 p.m. That is uh, the sponsor there is Harmony Foundation, which is where I work. Yay! Thank you. And we also want to remind everybody that the last event, um, which you don't want to skip, is uh, the State Advocacy Forum. And there will be breakouts. And that is what ends the conference uh, tomorrow at 3.30, from 3.30 to 5. So hopefully you'll stay the whole way through. There are exciting things all day long today and tomorrow. And I believe that is it. So thank you very much and welcome. Hi everybody, my name's Bobby and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I say that because I know there was a 12-step support group this morning at seven o'clock. I didn't sleep through it, but what I did instead was obsess about giving a talk and um, write and rewrite my remarks to you. That said, we'll get them wrapped up in about eight and a half minutes so we can get to the main attraction, but I'm impressed that Annie speaks from the cuff. And if you heard Marv last night, he was going and ripping and just riffing off uh, without reading. But I'm that geeky, dorky guy that's going to read his talk to you. So, And I, a part of the reason that I want to read it um, is because I got these glasses from the pharmacy and they're, <laughs> they're awesome. And um, I want to get it right. There's some uh, quotes that actually the best uh, things I might have to say would be from other people and I want to get what they said correct. But um, for many of you in this room, you'll remember having heard these words just a few hours ago. Quote, for years, I didn't even know this was a business. I just thought we were doing this altruistically. I knew we had to make some money, but that was not the goal. The goal was just to get people in recovery. So as you know, um, that was from uh, William White's uh, a white paper on the history of NAATP. 
dating back, this is a quote from Len Balzer from 1978. And I'm not gonna spend time here waxing nostalgic about the good old days. I will tell you though, um, we've reached a point where I look around at the faces in my programs in Texas and, and in Colorado, and they look closer to my son's age than to my age, and that's a big shift. So I am becoming a little bit of that good old days, um, you know, gray beard with long in the tooth giving old stories and old advice. So if that sounds a little like that, it's consistent with my demographics. So um, I want to thank our committee and this amazing staff and, of course, the volunteers um, who put this conference together. I feel fortunate and we're blessed to be hosting a conference among caring professionals with rich and relevant content at a time when our industry where words truly matter and actions matter too. I'm grateful, humble to be a part of all this and excited to hear what Marvin has to tell us about the quality assurance initiative that we've all been hearing so much about. A couple of months ago, I came across a book called 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote for Chaos. It's by a Canadian scholar named Jordan Peterson. You may know this, you may not, I didn't know it. Jordan Peterson is a Harvard professor and he's currently teaching at the University of Toronto. He's a psychologist by trade, there you go Annie. He's a PhD and when I read his excellent book, I found him to be something of a modern day philosopher. And I think philosophers are cool because they get us thinking about all sorts of scholarly things. Heaven and hell, good and evil, right and wrong, and in Peterson's case, he frames his worldview and his advice for life mostly in terms of order and chaos. As far as I know, uh, Peterson is not a person in long-term recovery. Um, his 12 rules for life uh, are really a collection of what he would call his greatest hits. These are some of his students' favorite lectures and essays which he's compiled over the years. They're not taken from nor tied directly to the 12 steps or spiritual principles of recovery with which we are all so familiar. But I believe his book's timely because we find ourselves today, both as an industry and as a society at large, struggling with a lot of the same issues. One of Peterson's 12 rules for life is entitled, Treat Yourself as If You Were a Person Responsible for Helping. I found this interesting because I believe this principle addresses some of the cognitive dissidents, and I'm really not qualified to use terms like that, but <laughs> think of it as a disconnect in our field today. To me, the most disturbing aspect of the ethical crisis in which we find ourselves today is that we have among us providers in the field of addiction treatment who on the one hand extol their clients to live a life of rigorous honesty while at the same time engaging it themselves in all sorts of deceptive and misleading practices like patient brokering, call aggregation, and deceptive online marketing of their services. When we engage in these practices or when we align ourselves with others who do, we as an industry find ourselves basically talking out of both sides of our mouths at the same time. We as a field must recognize and take action to address the disconnect between how we tell our patients they need to conduct themselves which is focused on transparency, deferred gratification, service to others on the one hand, and on the other hand, the hyper-competitive and unduly predatory practices that we're seeing in the treatment marketplace today. It's a slippery slope indeed. Is it possible 
for a right-minded, well-intentioned treatment provider to find him or herself operating in the gray area? Sure it is. It begins with a sense of unease and discomfort. Let me know if this sounds familiar. The fear of being left out, left behind in a competitive marketplace may lead us to engage with vendors or consultants offering a quick fix to our up and down census. Not understanding exactly how it works, internet marketing or lead generation or other tactics, we sign up for services because we believe we will be operating at a competitive disadvantage if we do not. Two basic fears that my sponsor makes me aware of every time we sit down drive all my behavior. One is the fear of rejection, and the other is the fear of abandonment. Rejection is about not getting what I want, and, and abandonment's about losing what I have. And I think this is what drives bad business decisions in a climate of uh, competition and census, what, what, uh, what, is, what is the term she goes, census affective disorder, right, <laughs> that we struggle with. Ironically, these are the same type of rationalizations our patients use to deny and minimize their own choices on the road to self-destruction and addiction, are they not? I had found a solution which eased my discomfort and allowed me to fit in with those around me. I may chip a little here and there, drink too much, but I'm not as bad as that guy. And when we point the party, excuse me, when we point our finger at a third-party vendor, like a call aggregator, a lead generator, an internet SEO consultant, is this not reminiscent of our treatment clients who also blame the experts and defend their actions and their addictive choices by telling us their chemicals were purchased at a pharmacy and prescribed by a physician? It's an obvious disconnect, but the solution is tricky in my opinion. How and where do we begin to address all of this to restore order amidst the chaos? I'm grateful to report that the leadership at NAATP has been taking action and is here today to report out to you on our progress and next steps. Marv spoke eloquently last night on the why and what is our why as addiction treatment providers. Len Balser spoke to that. He spoke of community, recovery, profound and personal transformation, a spirit of altruism articulated so beautifully by Len um, by, by Marv and by others. And today, we'll shift gears to look more pragmatically at the how of restoring order from chaos. What are the business disciplines which must be defined and in which we must engage in order to be transparent, grow our organizations at the same time? This is the nitty-gritty of the QAI, of the Quality Assurance Initiative, that you've been hearing so much about. It's difficult work which lays ahead building blocks for credibility, trust, and community based on the simple but courageous steps that this organization has taken recently in, in, that Marv outlined last night. I have a colleague who observed this week, there's a lot of dopamine that gets released in the brain when newly sober addicts find themselves out here making money hand over fist. I thought that really struck me. He's right, of course. It's not unlike an industry that's itself in relapse with short-term profit as our new drug of choice. Leadership requires a common call to purpose as a group of like-minded organizations, as well as the personal conviction which takes our own actions back into alignment with our own core values. Whether we're talking about personal growth or transforming an industry, either way, I believe each of us 
intuitively understands this is an inside job. It begins with us as individuals, as groups of leaders, as leaders of organizations, and as organizations of community healers, and ultimately as a healthcare industry itself. So in closing, let me circle back to our modern-day philosopher, Jordan B. Peterson, and leave you with the last page from his essay, Treat Yourself as You Would Treat a Person You Were Responsible for Helping. Peterson writes, you must determine where you are going so that you can bargain for yourself, so that you don't end up resentful, alone, and afraid. You have to articulate your own principles so that you can defend yourself against others taking inappropriate advantage of you, and so that you are secure and safe while you work and play. You must discipline yourself carefully. You must keep promises you make to yourself and reward yourself so that you can trust and motivate yourself. You need to determine how to act towards yourself so that you are most likely to become and stay a good person. It would be good to make the world a better place. A better world, after all, will not arrive of its own accord. We will have to work to bring it about and strengthen ourselves so that we can withstand the headwinds and obstacles in our path. Don't underestimate the power of vision and direction. These are irresistible forces, able to transform what might appear to be unconquerable obstacles into traversable pathways and expanding opportunities. Strengthen the individual. Start with yourself. Take care of yourself. Define who you are. Refine your personality. Choose your destination. Articulate your being. As the great 19th century German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche so brilliantly quoted, he whose life has a why can almost bear any how, can bear almost any how. You could help direct the world on its careening trajectory a bit more toward the greater good and a bit more away from chaos. Once having understood the truth of our own darkness, researched it, so to speak, particularly your own individual hell, you could decide against going there or recreating it. You could aim elsewhere. You could, in fact, devote your life to this. That would give you a meaning with a capital M. That would justify your failures of your past and the ongoing struggles of our daily existence. That would atone for the sinful nature and replace our shame and self-consciousness with the forthright confidence of someone who has learned once again to walk in the light toward a greater good. You could begin by treating yourself as if you were someone responsible for helping. Thank you, and let's welcome Marv. I'm gonna need a lot of water for this one. Good morning, welcome back. How many people were here last night for the banquet? Yay. How many people were not? It's okay. Hey, we're gonna do, you know, we've sort of restructured the conference this year, it, both in terms of having a, a kind of an academic curriculum in terms of producing the quality assurance competencies, but also just the structure of how the sort of social stuff works. So we're gonna, th this seemed to work really well. We're gonna open each, each year, my plan is, our plan is to open uh, next year as well in DC with this opening night banquet. We'll have even more room and, um, and gather that way and, and do our awards and then begin in earnest with, with the substantive, well, they're not non-substantive, with the, with the more pedantic things in the next day and then give you some time off. That's why we've, we've allowed Monday. We've, we were so busy, our schedule was so packed over the years that you know, maybe part of taking care of yourself is to allow you some time to, 
to be with one another, and, and so that's why we have to have tonight off. Um, so, I was feeling really good after last night, right? You guys, yeah, I, uh, it felt good. Didn't it feel good? Um, there's energy here that I haven't felt for a while, and I haven't felt everywhere I go when we do this work and, and, and at other conferences. And so we're doing something here. I really believe this, you guys. This is community. It's all about community. Um, we belong together. We will fail without community. Our message individually and our work individually isn't strong enough uh, to withstand forces that are really negative. So this... You know, understand this, believe this, this group coming together, and not just when we're here for the weekend, but when we go back home, this group understanding that we are brothers and sisters in, in, in this uh, sacred work is going to win the day. Because um, it is exhausting. I said some time ago, palpable sense of unease. We get up in the morning, there's a palpable sense of unease. Um, you know, and um, it's usually the first call I get, somebody complaining about something somebody has done that's unethical. Um, it's been pretty easy, right, to get, to get negative about all of this stuff. But man, you know, I really believe this. What, what a privilege to have the history that's been built to have the tools that have been built and have the knowledge uh, on how to treat addiction amidst a storm of chaos and horrible opioid crisis. Uh, and and, and you know, we have the answers, right? I mean, we don't know everything, but we know how to approach this. Um, so this is opportunity, you know? That's just not hyperbole. This is, the, you know, problem or challenge, yeah, well, yeah. It, 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 it's a challenge that we are put here to, to manage now. So I was feeling pretty good last night, and I got up, the, and then I heard the, the John Oliver bit was happening, and I got up this morning, and I counted them. 23 emails and four texts. Marvin, what are we going to do about this John Oliver thing? It's like, damn, can I get a break around here? Um, nothing. It was wonderful. I loved what Annie just said. So first of all, uh, John Oliver's hilarious. I love that guy. And his staff is excellent. They do good research. And they did an expose. How many saw it or heard about it? Yeah, not everybody, but a bunch. They did an expose on the addiction treatment field, the chaos. And it's bas it was basically a, uh, um, an expose that this field is in terrible shape and harming people. And um, it's just awful out there. I knew it was coming. I didn't know it was going to be last night. I talked to the producer. I'm going to talk to the producer again today. You know, I like these people. She's great. I talked to her at, at length and I, uh, about all the things that are happening. And one of the things that they did last night on the John Oliver show was say, and, and we've contacted the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers. They put, our, they put our logo up there. And they acknowledge that there are serious problems in certain sectors of the addiction industry. That's the right thing to say, right? You know, the, the wrong thing to say, the problem would have been this, we talked to this National Trade Association who says there's no problem, right? That's where we would be in trouble. That's where we would not be speaking our truth. So it's by speaking our truth uh, that we will get through all of this. Now, I'm, I'm disappointed that they couldn't, in, in the midst of exposing all these charlatans, 
that they couldn't have identified the good, right? Um, that they couldn't have said, you know, by the way, there's a whole lot of amazing, talented, professional people who produce great treatment and save people's lives every day. And here's an example of a few of them. Throw us a bone, John Oliver, for God's sake. Um, but they don't do that, right? Um, and, and, and that's not, who wants to hear that? Right? That's not the sexy news story. Did you, did you hear, did you listen to Sam Quinone's, uh, man, I love this guy. He wrote Dreamland uh, that we gave the Journalism Award for last night. It's just a marvelous piece of work, and he's a really cool guy. And one of the things he said was, look, I'm a journalist. I understand what plays. I understand what's going to get out there, and the good work that you do isn't. And it gets so exhausting, and you get up every morning, and you're doing this, and then they tell all this negative stuff. Yeah, but what about me? Um, and so um, here's the deal. <laughs> At some point in your professional life, you basically have to realize that you can't fix most things, right? That you can't control very much, that this is going to be a long haul, it's going to be very difficult, and what we do is we get up every day and we fight the good fight. That's what, and that's okay, right? That's a spiritual endeavor. Amidst a storm of chaos and unethical behavior and, and, and treatment and fake treatment programs killing people, you know, there was a getting people high and prostituting the women in their treatment centers. These are things that have actually happened. Amidst all of that, we just get up every day. We try to message as best we can, and, I'm, and, and that's what the association is doing, is to speak for the, for the industry, and we're, we're getting it out there. I mean, we've got SAMHSA's attention and Congress's attention, and, and you know, the New York Times has done a wonderful job with a number of things. We've got Google's attention. Um, I mean, that's God talking to Google. It's like, you know, I went to the mothership with my with Pete in in California. It was so intimidating. I was like, I'm on the Google campus. You don't just levitate, by the way. It's got sidewalks and everything. But you know, I was thinking, I, I don't know how to dress to go to a Google meeting. I'm a business person. I got, you know, this is how I dress. I don't think I, I don't think I'll fit in. What if they don't like me? I, you know, it's like all these really smart millennials are running around and. So I figured out the deal with dressing up at Google is just have to make sure your hoodie is zipped up. And then... <laughs> so, but so you know you got this. You got to attack this thing in a lot of different ways, and and the, and and one of them, and the most important is to get up every morning and fight the good fight and do the good work, and we know what to do, and just keep doing that. And if you can't take it, get out, because we're gonna we're gonna be here at the end. just like we always have been for 40 years. And the reason we've survived is because of community and the good people that are our core folks. I want to identify a few of them. I meant to do it last night, but I always go off script and then forget what I was supposed to do. So I want to identify some board members just so that you understand that these people keep this thing going. Um, they support me and my staff. They do it not only without compensation, but they, they, they cost them a lot of money to serve on the board, and they do it because they care about the field. Can I get the board members who are here, everybody who's not here this morning, to please stand up, and I'll, I want to quickly acknowledge you. I want to, I want to talk, oh, yeah. Don't, don't sit down yet. I want to, uh, just so you know, because I want you to talk to these people. Sorry, guys, but you're ambassadors for this association. You've got to get to work today. So I want you to talk to these people. Right, especially if you're new. So way in the back, Dave Rotenberg, Chief Clinical Officer of Karen in Pennsylvania. Uh, right back there, thank you, Dave. Right in front of him is Clay Simmons, the CEO of Bradford Health uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm looking straight at Paul 
uh, Bacharach, uh, CEO of um, uh, a Gateway Rehab in Pennsylvania. Um, Rob Rowling recently joined our board and has taken over at Origins and is, and is making some big, important moves. Congratulations, Robert. We're so glad to, to have you on board. Uh, 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 Paul Alexander with Northbound is standing right here and then from California. Jay Crossan is right behind him. He's the CEO of Cumberland Heights. And I'm looking at Nanette Zumwalt from Hired Power in the Huntington Beach, California area. Ed Deal. Ed, 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 Ed Deal's a big deal, and Ed Deal's been a wonderful support for us. And he's, and he's Seabrook, and he's been Seabrook, and his family have been Seabrook for a really long time. Um, Kathy Palm is the CEO of Tully Hill in, uh, in upstate New York in the Syracuse area. And that right there is uh, Scott Munson, the boss at Sundown M Ranch in, in the Yakima, Washington area. This is Gary Fisher. He's been the director at Cirque for a very long time. And this is Carl Kester, the CEO of... Uh, of Lakeside Milam in the Seattle area. Ray Tomasi's been at this for a little while. Um, and uh, I don't know why I'm picking on the old guy. Uh, Ray Tomasi's <laughs> been at this for a little while. He's the boss at Gosnold on Cape Cod. Uh, uh, Tom Britton's going to be, from Gateway's going to be joining our board. Annie Peters from the chief clinical officer at Harmony. And you, and you know Bobby Ferguson. And you, and you also know John Driscoll, the executive vice president at Hazleton. Over there is Becky Flood, the CEO of Ashley. You know, formerly Father Martin's Ashley, Paul Hackman, CEO at Pavilion in North Carolina. I was just recently there. Art Vandeveer, the boss at La Hacienda, um, who uh, who uh, we talk every day. He's the CEO. He's the chair of the board right now. Um, uh, Debbie Sanford, who who is the boss at Pine Grove down in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And the way in the back is is our award winner this year. Congratulations again, Phil Eaton from. Uh, um, Rosecrans Health Network in, in the Chicago, out in the Rockford, Illinois area. Did I get everybody? Done, you start to, you know, I, I know who these people are. It's not that big a deal, but you start going along, and then all of a sudden you think, I, I better not forget, and then you start to panic, and then your brain shuts down. Uh, <laughs> So I used to train lawyers, and we would always say, everybody's nervous. You know, the human brain begins to work at, at birth and doesn't stop until you stand up in public to speak. <laughs> I want to talk about a few of the things just to sort of contextualize uh, where we're at that we talked about last night and then talk more specifically about this quality assurance initiative. Um, it really is important to understand that we've won a lot of the battles, right? John Driscoll is, is the one who has sort of hammered this home for me. Don't forget, Marvin, um, you know, we've won in a lot of ways, right? This didn't used to be the case that there was, in fact, recognition that this is a chronic brain disease with psychosocial spiritual components for which there is a course of treatment. Right? We, we, we recognize what recovery looks like. There may be 23 million people in this country suffering from addiction, um, but there's over 20 million people in this country that identify as in long-term recovery from addiction. Right? People get well. People die. But people get well, and that's, it's important to recognize that. Stigma isn't the biggest issue, as far as, far as I know anymore, as far as I believe anymore. It's still, it still exists, but it's not like it was. Congress is paying attention in a way that they, they never have before. Um, the Affordable Care Act is still intact, and, and we're going to work our way through that. And parity uh, uh, is the law. 
it's not fully realized, but we're making progress there, and that's very much the focus of our public policy efforts in Washington. We know about more about treating addiction than we ever have. We have more tools than we've ever had. We understand this thing is a continuum of care, right? Um, it's not an acute period. Nobody's confused about that anymore. Um, if it, to the, it, it, <laughs> the addiction treatment center that was named on John Oliver last night that said you come here for 30 days and you're cured, um, you know, it, it, nobody who has any sense says that. Um, you know, um, so we, we get the continuum of care and we get that people get well. But there's this climate, right? And so that's what has generated our initiative. We started, uh, I mean, we, we've been at this for a while. We've been talking about ethics for a while, but, but we ended up in this place and we said, we've got to basically garner all of the NAATP resources in order to produce best practice simultaneously with correcting the bad behavior. Right, and, and Bobby alluded to this and I alluded to this last night. You don't get to be ethical over here and, and not ethical over here. If your CEO, if your marketer is, is cheating and buying and selling leads, something's wrong in the clinical program, right? So this is a holistic deal, folks. We can't, it, it doesn't work that way. Um, and so, you know, much of this is the result of unintended consequences of really good progress, right? Disease recognition and a payment source coming along and all these treatment tools and the opioid crisis getting folks' attention. And all of a sudden, we kind of have what we wish for and we become very attractive as a growth industry for, for big profits. And that's what's happened, right? And, there's no, and we should be productive business people and we should run our programs as businesses, but we have to do that with the right motivation. And, um, and, and the, the, the beginning with profit is not the right motivation. So this, you know, I, made, I, I told you about some calls last night. I got a call from a guy that said, hi, Marv, I'm an addiction entrepreneur. I wanted to talk to you, and I hung up on him. Um, so it's these nonsensical margins of profit, not the least of which is, is, is insurance fraud billing and, and urinalysis that's such a problem, right? Um, that type of aggressive behavior relative to business that some people in this country admire is, has no place in this work, right? It doesn't fit in a spiritual model. And that's not to say that there's naivete about being a business person, right? There's balance here. The pockets of harm, uh, Phil Eaton was the first one who sort of articulated this for me. It, you know, there, there are a number of different pockets of harm. There's criminals, sociopathic criminals, right? Who, who just basically have no uh, 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 sense of empathy toward other human beings and harm them. And on the other end of the spectrum, there's just damn ethical fine people that will never do anything wrong because they just don't. And then there's these folks in the middle and, uh, that, get, uh, that push it, push it too far. And that's really the population that we're mostly concerned about, plus the young person who doesn't know any better. So all of our work is really designed to, to address that. Um, and um, if we don't, you know, the, the harm is just too great. Uh, the client gets hurt, the, the good provider gets a black eye, the industry gets a black eye, the, and, and the payer gets skittish and feels justified in not, in not paying their bills. So, you know, we're working on the policy level uh, to make sure that folks have this information and um, we have uh, policymakers' attention to an extent we never have before and um, our quality assurance principles are gaining initiative. The biggest offender, without a doubt, is deceptive web marketing. Um, 
uh, call directories are no longer allowed to be members of the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers. They're out. <laughs> Treatment programs that put up unbranded sites that don't identify themselves uh, as who they are, purporting to be clinical uh, helplines that are, are there in order to direct you to them, they're out. They're gone. We don't have them anymore. When we find out that you're lifting other treatment programs' identities in order to market your program, that's a clear violation of our code. You're either going to stop it or you're going to leave. Our process allows for that. And at the end of the day, we get to this place which we're, we, uh, of basically human behavior aggregation. You know, Aggregating calls in order to understand human behavior, in order to target and victimize people in a way that gets them to your center when it's not based on a clinical practice and clinical assessment is, is at the heart of the problem, which is very much why we're working with Google. Um, and we're going to talk, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that this morning, and then we're going to have the big session that the legit script people, the CEO of legit script, John Horton, is coming in. That's the entity that's, met, that's vetting your applications during this beta period. This is very complicated. It's not fixed yet, but we're, but we're going we're gonna to get there. Um, that's what that piece is all about. Um, you know, the New York Times and The Verge did a big expose last fall that really showed how the, how the purchase of AdWords was the primary corrupting influence that was causing harm to people. And so um, we, you know, we've done some unusual things for a trade association. One of the things is we've given up revenue and given up members in order to be smaller and better. But we also said we're going to limit our own members' ability to market because the bad guys are, 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 are um, abusing it. Now, we don't want to do that. Right? I mean, what was amazing is I got a few, a few sort of like nasty calls about that, but mostly all of you said, this is so great, we understand we can't buy AdWords right now, but this thing has to be fixed. Right? The, the response was positive. And so, um, you know, we suspended AdWords. Google suspended AdWords. You recall last year at this conference, Google was here, and they were still taking the position that, look, we built a platform, we made a playground, and you guys aren't playing fair in it, that's not our problem. Well, people are dying. It's their problem, right? And they came around. It, it, you know, I got to give Google credit. They came around and they've been listening. They're in the business of making money. Uh, uh, we understand that. But they pulled AdWords. They gave up a lot of revenue for a long time, and it's just now being reintroduced. So they do care about this. You know, AdWords, SEO, and Maps are kind of the three areas that we're working on with them. But SEO, or pardon me, um, but AdWords is, is the big piece. And... Um, and it's taken a lot of our, our energy. We worked with LegitScript to come up with these guidelines, and some of the things we want to have happen haven't happened yet. We think some of the requirements are a bit too onerous, but, but again, we're working on that. So, so that's the big thing that we're tackling, and it's really complicated. You know, and as we talked about last night, the opioid crisis brings in this whole, it makes, this, makes the business attractive, right? There's this whole client population that's extraordinarily vulnerable to the aggressive, unethical marketer. And, and so, you know, we struggle with, with MAT integration as well. But we're, we are also scientists, and so we're, we're you know, we're evidence-based people, and so we're figuring out how to keep our core, 
how to keep the core of, 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 of recovery, which is transformation, and, and at the same time use these best practices that, uh, that Dr. Compton, who received our um, uh, advancement award last night, talked about. Um, I loved that the guy, the doc from the National Institute of Health said, you know, when you work for the government and you get an award, it has to be vetted, and we vetted it with the government officials and found out that you're the good guys. No, thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to live on that one for a while. <laughs> right? um, so it's not pie in the sky, it's community. The problem at its core is lack of community, and I won't do the dog poop thing again that I talked about last night. But I still think that's a really good analogy, and if you didn't, if you didn't hear it, talk to your colleagues. It'll be, it'll be amusing. Okay, so the Quality Assurance Initiative is all about community and recovery. These are its objectives. Promote best business practice, deter problematic business practices, assist payers in the discernment of services, inform law and policymakers, educate and protect the consumer, and train and educate the provider. It's a big project. The last piece is really the development of a, of a scholarly curriculum, if you will, which we're essentially rolling out in, 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 in preliminary bit pieces uh, this weekend. So everything's designated as a, Q, uh, a quality assurance component, right, in your schedule. Right? I mean, I like to see movie stars, you know, come to conferences and talk, you know. Um, I think Rob Lowe is cool, um, but he doesn't know anything about our work, um, right? I mean, and so this conference should look different and should feel different because this is the workers coming together to do the work. And, and, and we get that movie stars get sober. Um, so, so do a lot of people. Does that mean? <laughs> now, speaking of our favorite people, we're going to be in D.C. next year, so we're going to have politicians, so get ready for that one. Right? <laughs> um, so the first step in all of this was for us to clean our house. Right? We've been around for 40 years. We're a national uh, trade association and a professional membership society, not an enforcement or policing body. That's not our role. Um, and it was, and nor typically should it be, but we had to assume that role because somebody has to take the leadership position here, and we can't go to anybody and say these are the good providers. This is where you'll find them because it's all about identifying the quality provider. Where do you identify good providers? You know, the John, Ol <laughs> I'm all over the board, but uh, the John Oliver show last night had the Tom McClellan clip. You know, I think you might know, Tom, Tom has been an important uh, professional in this field for a very long time and has some very important contributions and very important things to say. And he suffered a horrible loss in his family and it's devastating. But when he says in this clip a couple of things, one of which is uh, that treatment doesn't work and, and, and also harms people, Tom, you're not helping when you say that. Um, and he also said, and I'm a professional, I work in this field, I'm a scientist and I understand everything and I had no idea how to get help. That's not true. I, 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 we know where the good treatment is. So, 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 so I wish they hadn't played that clip. I'm going to talk to her about that. Because um, that's not true, right? Um, and so, you know, this, this messaging is, is, is so important. In any event, 
what we had to do is say, if, in any, if any of the policymakers are going to listen to us, we can't go out and say, this is where you find the good providers, and then they say, what about that guy? So this has been a hell of a process, because you've got to do it fair, right? We have a due process-based uh, format by which we evaluate providers. And, and, and you know that when you look around, it should look a little different around here, if not perfect. But over 10 entities and 100 campuses and $100,000 were given away by, by my office on January 1st because we can't have them here anymore. And that's a good thing. Now we're going to develop the membership um, beyond the numbers that are here, um, but not the 13,000 that are in the SAMHSA record. Right? So I don't want to brag on SAMHSA. Uh, this is a very important group. We have good, 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 you know, the, the, to say that there are 13,000 addiction treatment providers in, in this country and you go on the SAMHSA database to find them is, is, is of almost no value. Right? That's not any kind of a vetted thing. And so we're not after the 13,000. A lot of those folks aren't even licensed treatment providers. But there are certainly many dozens more who we need to bring into the fold in order to make this thing work. And we're going to, that's the next phase of our development. Because as I've said before, our real value is that we are the place where you're safe and you're recognized as, as the best providers. So that being on the AID, the addiction industry directory, means something. You do not get on NAATP's addiction industry directory just by showing up, right? You have to demonstrate our, your ethical compliance, you have to demonstrate your values, you have to demonstrate your licensing and accreditation, you have to and, and then you have to be transparent. It's so much about transparency. When you look at a website, when you look at a treatment center, can you really tell who they are and what they do and where they are? Um, and then we also have to educate the consumer that the way you look for health care is the way you look for health care. You don't look for cancer treatment by, by uh, um, thread count and beach location. <laughs> Pools don't get you sober. They're nice. They're for swimming. John Oliver made fun of equine therapy last night. He's a comedian. It was kind of funny. There, you know, we know there's value to things like that, these ancillary services. But Annie Peters is going to, you know, part of the Quality Assurance Initiative is this clinical piece, and we're going to talk about, and, and we're releasing this weekend the first draft of the evidence-based practices document from the National Association. We've got a bunch of resources that, we're, that are just starting to come out. But one of those resources that came out that got a lot of traction, and I hope you're using it, is the discernment of treatment guide and how to select a treatment program. So we've published a how to select a treatment program that says <laughs> look for health care in the way that you would look for health care, right? You know, it, this, addiction treatment is the only place where, where uh, the vast majority of people find what they believe they need on Google. It's not the way to find health care. So um, we're trying to create brand here uh, and, and lead the way so that two things happen. One, this is the place where everybody knows they can go to rely, where you can come to be safe, right? And thereby, ultimately, from our bully pulpit and our example of the way we do things, influence the rest of the providers. That's, that's the point of all this. We've got to just keep doing it right. So you are members of the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers. You pay good money for that. Um, 
and um, we want you to have a return on your investment. And we, we talk about all these kinds of benefits, and we will continue to talk about those. But as I say, the real benefit is, is belonging to this place where you're identified. And so who are you? It's important to recognize who you are because this is, a, this is apropos of what has happened in the field. This is a graphic of NAATP membership right now. It looked entirely different 10 years ago and, and pretty different about five years ago. So these are our provider facilities who have, who have uh, uh, campuses, right? <clears throat> Companies and, and then they have campuses. So you can see um, the big dog, Acadia, they're a very important member of our, of our group, and, and, the, and the other big ones, and then most of you guys are the little dots, right? But what does this show? Fewer and bigger. It shows fewer and bigger. What's happened to this industry? Fewer and bigger. Consolidation, um, hospital, clinical move, fewer independent ma and pa, which I don't say in a pejorative way, uh, small, you know, nonprofits with, with, with 25 beds, but I hope that never disappears, but it's certainly not the industry trend. Just looking at our membership confirms the industry trend that this is the, this is the direction of the field, and we are going to look different as a field uh, in the years to come. When you look at our membership by category, these again are just parent companies as opposed to individual members. You guys pay your du pay, um, dues based on uh, annual gross annual revenue. So this largest uh, slide, whoops, wrong button. This largest is, uh, is the smallest category. Uh, you pay dues based on revenue of less than a million and a half a year. All the way up to folks who pay a good deal more in this category of annual revenue in excess of 50 million. Um, and, and, and so it's really, as the, as the field develops, this is where it's developing too, is, the, is this group right in here. Now these orange ones are supporter members. We also want to have supporter members. In order to be a provider member, you need to be a licensed addiction treatment provider. <clears throat> but we also accept folks into our fold who have fewer, they don't have voting privileges. Um, who support, who in a very legitimate way support the industry. And those are, those are small in number, but we're glad to have them. We're glad to have you. Um, and it all filters into the AID. So every one of you has a member login. Much of what happens on the, on the, on the NAATP site is accessible only to members. And so you need to log in. Every member, if you're a member, if your organization, individuals aren't members, if your member isn't, if your uh, organization is a member of the National Association, every staff member can have their own individual login and use all of our services, and you just go on the site and it will direct you how to do that, and if you have trouble, contact our staff. But the main thing that you want to do is get your, get your uh, AID listing in really good shape. So this is where you're going to be found, in the addiction industry directory. So I pulled up LAHA's page because LAHA is is uh, uh, the uh, center of our current board president. And this is only part of it. Those of you who are working your pages um, know this, but you've got to have somebody who's good at your shop who goes in and keeps this up to date. And the SEO potential is phenomenal, right? Think about it. The internet works, virality works by virtue of searchable content, right? If you have site information that is, that produces searchable content, that's the main algorithm that causes 
you to become noticed. And we currently have approximately 820 campuses um, on the AID, each of which have massive searchable content, who can plant all of that content on here and identify in a transparent way all of your information. And the chances of this thing, which already is receiving very good analytics, our, our analytics are, are, are looking very good for, this, for the AID, the most visited page or, or component of our treatment <coughs> of our uh, website is the, uh, is the AID, this thing will take off like crazy. It'll be the best marketing piece th that exists because we do want the good provider to be found. So uh, get on board with your listing and get it as uh, comprehensive as possible. And it's real transparent, right? I mean, some folks don't like to be that transparent, but this is our obligation. We got CEOs on here. We got, we identify, you identify everything. And that's only fair. The consumer needs to understand exactly where they're coming. We launched Ethics 2.0 on January 1st, and Jay Crossan is gonna do the workshop on, on the nuts and bolts of the ethics code uh, at one of the breakouts this afternoon. But it has really gotten folks' attention. This is the document that most of the nation is turning to, including um, uh, the American Society of Addiction Medicine is, is looking at it as they develop some of their things right now. Um, uh, the the uh, subcommittee that investigated much of the activity in Congress is, is looking at it, and it's a really good guy. We worked really hard on it, and it leaves no doubt as to what's fair play and what's not fair play. Uh, and so it's very easy now, well not easy, but it's very, we have the ability now when someone files a complaint against a treatment provider that's an NAATP member to uh, cite, the to determine whether that section of the code is being violated by the conduct. And it almost always has to do with lack of transparency or manipulation uh, of the site. Um, the legit script program is, is, is really important. I talked about it a little bit uh, already. Um, it's, how many of you have applied for, um, for uh, uh, the ability to sell AdWords in this beta period? Not too many. How's it going? It's a little cumbersome. And there's some things in there that we, you know, in terms of the identification of every staff member that we, we want to talk, we want to continue to talk to LegitScript about. But here again, we're going to have to pay a price. So this is what I want to say to folks about the, the work we're going to have to do to get on to be able to purchase AdWords. The whole point of this is that somebody who's bad with a whole lot of money can't bully the internet, right? The cost of AdWords was that were the, the AdWords was most expensive. Addiction treatment AdWords were the most expensive in the market. Of all the things that you can that you can buy AdWords on, our little field was the place where it cost the most. So this whole the whole point of this is to take out the bully so that and hopefully the cost of AdWords is going to I mean it should go down. It should considerably go down as a result of the selectivity of all of this. But what we're trying to do is balance consumer protection and your ability to market properly, right? And these balances are hard to achieve. Um, you, uh, you know, you want to create really strong regulations that truly protect the consumer. But we also want to make it possible for you to actually complete the, the, uh, the application. Um, 
without undue hardship. But at some point, folks are going to have to say, okay, I'm willing to do some things that I really would rather not do because the overall good is is satisfied by the program. So that's the thing. And many of you have sent in your comments and said, would you tell, I love this one, Marv, would you tell Google? Yeah, I just pick up the phone and tell Google. Um, you know. Um, or legit script, you know. Well, the, but, but nor do I say to you that we don't communicate those things. We do, we do in fact, communicate those things. We just don't tell, we can't tell anybody what to do. So. Contextualize the Quality Assurance Initiative has these various pieces. At its core is the ethics piece and, and the enforcement of it and the cleaning of our house. But then it's got all these substantive pieces that we have to conduct in order to uh, uh, raise the floor so that all treatment providers, you know, when we first started talking about the Quality Assurance Initiative, we kind of thought about creating a gold standard, right? this elite standard that you could qualify for. But then we got to thinking, no, that's not the right way to do it. The right way to do it is to raise the floor. There is a, there is a, uh, a threshold below which you may not fall in order to be with this, this organization and be recognized as providing good treatment. So that's all of these requirements that we're making for membership are basically based on that. The next session this morning is going to be on outcomes. Some of the problems we are facing are of our own making we didn't do enough in certain areas w when we could have. And one of those things was tracking outcomes, right? So three years ago, we, the National Association engaged in a seminal outcomes research project uh, using eight treatment programs from our membership who would report client data from intake through 12 months out uh, uh, accumulate that data, have it, vet, have it managed by an independent research institute, have it overseen by an independent review board, an NIH confidentiality certified, um, so that we could hold this out and, and, and say, we have come up with a platform, we have come up with a, uh, a template, a model by which addiction treatment centers in a uniform way, it's never existed before, can measure outcomes. And that's what the outcomes project is. The, the, the professionals who have done this research are now, all the data's in, they're analyzing the data, we're gonna produce reports, they're gonna report on some of that data today, um, and, and it's, it's interesting and it's good information, but what's most important is that it's going to result in the norming of an instrument that will be produced through a toolkit that will deliver to all of you so that you can do this at home. Um, and, and we have to do this, right? This is transparency and accountability. Um, and measuring outcomes in, in recovery is complex, but we have mechanisms to do that. And so that's what this toolkit, which will be re released by the end of the year, will do, and you'll hear more about that. I wanna talk about accreditation. How many healthcare arenas, other than ours, are allowed to operate without an accrediting body. <laughs> we don't get to say this anymore, right? I mean, we, it, it, it's, as we move into sophisticated healthcare and are taken completely seriously, we can't say, and we're not gonna, and we're not gonna have a, an accrediting body say that we are doing the things that need to be done. This is an essential component of responsible professional healthcare, and that has to be the norm in our field. 
I'm fully, I love the Joint Commission folks. Some of them are here. I love the CAR folks. We work closely with them. Those are our two accrediting bodies and, and we're, we're in really, really good communication with, with them. They know they're not perfect. We've actually begun a cross-pollination program, if you will, that's the wrong word, talk to each other program. Um, <laughs> what do I say stuff like that for? What does that mean? Um, <laughs> Um, whereby we share the information of concern. Because one of the things that people have said over the years is, you know, NAATP doesn't care anything about what people do, they just want to check. Well, that's not true, and our, and our conduct shows that. The other thing that's unfair is that accreditation doesn't mean anything. Because so-and-so's accredited and they suck. Well, that's not true. I mean, that's not fair either. Accreditation means a great deal. It is strong indicia of competent best practice treatment. It is not flawless. And so, and they know that. Right? And so we are trying to figure out ways where we can share our information about problem centers and they share information about problem centers. Because we, I, I, might have, I do have some things that I want, you know, uh, the Joint Commission and CARF to know about that they don't know about. And that probably works both ways. So here's what's going on. Uh, earlier this year, as part of the Quality Assurance Initiative and raising the floor, we said, look, we gotta have, we, you gotta be accredited to be an NAATP member at this point. Um, and so let's, let's begin the process of making that part of our membership requirements, which would require, which would require a bylaws change, which is this you know, whole process. And, and, and so that's what we're engaged in. So the first thing we did was take it to the executive committee and they unanimous, unanimously passed the initiative to require accreditation as a membership requirement. We then took it to the Ethics Committee, they did the same thing. We then took it to our Quality Assurance Initiative, they did the same thing. We then took it to the full Board of Directors who overwhelmingly, about a month ago, approved the initiative to make accreditation a requirement in order to be an NAATP member. Now you're gonna vote. This is about you. So in the next weeks, you will receive, the, the main contact person at your association will receive a ballot asking you to vote to make this a membership requirement. It's very important that we approve this, but you have, you have a voice, right? You have, and, and you're gonna be, have the opportunity to do this. So beginning January 1 of 2019, if this passes, which I expect that it will, and I encourage you all to vote for it, um, it will be a requirement that you be, be accredited by an accrediting body, by a recognized accrediting body, CARF, Joint Commission, or another recognized body that we will look at, there are a few, um, in order to be a member. And if you're not currently accredited, we're not gonna throw you out. We're gonna give you a grace period. We're gonna give you provisional status, and we're gonna give you two years, and we're gonna be a, as helpful in the process as we can to facilitate your accreditation with, with those bodies. And when new applications come in, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to say, if you're not accredited, that's a, you need to become accredited, and you're going to have to show us your progress in that uh, work while you're a provisional member. And, and there will be a two-year period. So um, you know how I feel about it. Uh, uh, the, the truth is, most of our members are accredited. Take a look at this chart. 25% uh, of our members are CARF. 44% uh, of our members are joint commission. Um, seven of our members have both. Anybody in here want to raise their hand and brag about both? Where are you from? Mountainside. Mountainside, yeah. That's, uh, was, it just, was it just an unbelievably impossible 
program to get both of those? Surveyors come in and it's not all that pleasant, is it? I've been through a curve, sir. Yeah. Why'd you do it? Why did you do both? <laughs> Show off. Um, so, and then we have this, this group, and so, you know, what we, when, when our new team took over three years ago, one of the things we had to do was begin to collect really good data from all of our members so that we knew who you are and what you were doing. And a lot of it has, obviously it has to be self-reported. We, we check that stuff, there, you need to validate your license and all those things, but we still have a, a significant group that is not listed. We assume there's a mix of accredited and not accredited within that eight, 8%, and that might even be true of the 15% that are not accredited. Most of the non-accredited, the vast majority of non-accredited are the little guys. Uh, is that, that tall, on the graph, the tall chart? That's most of the, 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 the larger organizations are accredited. One of the things that we have to get really good at, though, is what are you accredited for and at what campuses, right? That's another misrepresentation that occurs online, uh, is that, you know, uh, accredited, well that sober house isn't accredited, right? That's a whole different thing. By the way, we, we were in communication with NAR and, and that whole, uh, the, the business of recovery residences is very complex. But um, that's, what our, that's what our membership population looks like. Okay, the, the granddaddy of this quality assurance initiative is gonna be the quality assurance guidebook. So when we first conceived of this program, we talked and tried to figure out, well, what is it that the field needs? And we sort of started using this term, a rule book, right? Now, many of you don't need a rule book to know how to provide good treatment, but as an industry, there needs to be a standard by which um, good operation is defined. In other words, competencies to do the work. And so we are drafting the Quality Assurance Guidebook, which is scheduled to be published by the end of the year. Pete, we're going to get it out by the end of the year. Um, and um, this is a, this is a, it's in your conference program, or the, the, the guidebook isn't in the conference program, but the, the competencies list is on page 66 of your conference program, and what you will see there is nine competency categories that cover 29 guidelines. So what we're, what we're, and they are these, operations, admission patient screening, training and credentialing, billing, discharge and continuing care, outcomes measures, communication engagement, public relations and public policy, marketing, advertising and visibility, probably be the longest section, and then compliance with the NAATP code of ethics. And within each one of those categories are guidelines. Professionals, societies, professional organizations have guidelines. They have standards and guidelines, right? Doctors and lawyers and accountants they, we, uh, and other health areas have guidelines, and, and, and that's the purpose of all this, too, in combination with the accrediting bodies. Accreditors are concerned with quality and safety, quality and safety. What do you do, CARF? What do you do, Joint Commission? We do quality and safety. Do business practices? No. There's pieces in that, but that's not the thing. We would love it if you guys did. Well, all right, let's combine these things, right? And, and, and so that's the goal, is to complement each other with this uh, guidebook that includes these competencies. So each one of these guidelines will be a brief guideline that states the principle, followed by a commentary that, that, that we are gonna write as a society um, that defines what that means, right? It gives examples of 
proper admissions practices, for example. So this is going to be a requirement for membership. So not only are you going to have to certify when you're a member of NAATP that you will abide by the code of ethics and that if you fail to abide by the code of ethics, you may be removed. You're also going to certify that you're in compliance with the guidebook. And don't ask me about all of the uh, ways in which we're going to assure that compliance because that's really complicated and we haven't figured all that out yet. But we're trying. We, you know, baby steps, right? Um, so that's what the guidebook is all about. Uh, since we've built many of the resources at NAATP, folks don't all know about them, and I want you to I want you to to understand that we have a very good and growing online resource center of both clinical and operational practices. And you have to be logged in under your membership to do that. But one of the things that we produced recently was the treatment program selection guide. And just the other day, our lawyers at Coppersmith Brockelman produced a trademark uh, protecting your brand primer document that is going up on the resource center. I think we might have even put it on the app. I'm not sure about that, but it's, it's accessible to you. So one of the things that happens, Gary Fisher's sitting right here, Marvin, they're doing it again. People love to steal Cirque's name. I guess you should feel flattered, but it's horrible. Um, so, you know, these, these organizations poach your identity in order to draw business, pretend to be you, essentially, although they say that they're not doing that. And, um, and, 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 and what's the law on that? The law on that is very complicated. Um, and um, you need direction on how to do that. You know, what, what should your cease and desist letter look like? And, and when do you write it? And what does it say? That's what this new guide that we've just produced um, helps with. It doesn't answer everything because it's complicated, but um, uh, that piece is available. So yeah, thanks, Gary. Gary Fisher's happy about this, and Gary Fisher is not very happy a lot of the time. That's not true. He's not happy with me a lot of the time. <laughs> That's not true either, he says. Um, uh, so it's, a, it's searchable and it's meta-tagged so that if you're looking at something on evidence-based practices and it happens to be a particular practice like equine therapy, it, there will be a link to go find what we have on that information, right? This is all part of society and community. This community will have these resources. You will use them together. I want you to be able to say when your colleague calls you, yeah, we had that same question too and, and the National Association was able to help with that. Have you seen this resource? Um, and we'll be missing more things than we have, but we just keep building them. And we want your resources, right? I mean, you can populate this thing for us with your excellent information. This society came, came together in order to come together to share information. You know, you know something that you don't know, and you know something that you don't know. Let's, let's, let's share those things. Collaborate and cooperate. We're going we're gonna to get back there, folks. Um, we, we, we really are, at least within, within this society. So the Resource Center is a big deal. Um, I do, you know, you can't read this, so that's why I put it on a slide. Don't you love that when presenters say, you know, there, you can't read this, but I put it on the slide. Well, why'd you put it on the slide? I don't know. Um, but I want, cause, so I could read it, basically. So the NATAP uh, NAATP Treatment Selection Guide um, is based on four principles. Because, you know, again, folks are saying, well, there's no way to understand what quality treatment is. That's not true. 
right? So let's start with four basic principles. Addiction treatment is healthcare and must be chosen as such. Do not be swayed by the photography and marketing of luxury amenities rather than necessary core healthcare services. That's the first principle. The second principle is that there are, in fact, knowable indicia of quality in addiction treatment. Indicia include descriptions of evidence-based practices, professionally credentialed staff, and accreditation. A visit and tour of the facility will reveal much, we say to the consumer, which is true, especially if it doesn't exist. Um, transparency of treatment center information is essential. The deeper you look, the more you should learn. So I've, I talk to consumers a lot, and, and they say, as soon as I started searching that site, I couldn't really understand what they did. Get out, right? That's the end of the analysis. You know, you have to, transparency, right? There's something wrong if you can't tell where they are and what they do and who, who their staff are. So the deeper you look, the more useful information you should find, including location, years of operation, outcome data, but not guarantees, right? We heard a guarantee on, on uh, John Oliver last night. They were quite adamant about it. Uh, depth of clinical information, inquiries into consumer medical history, and in-network insurance information. The in-network, out-of-network situation is complex, and, I'm, and, and we're going to continue to talk about that. I was, no, I'm, don't go down that road right now. A treatment program should pledge compliance and accountability uh, to a code of ethics. Has the program, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, looking for treatment, adopted the NAATP code of ethics? And we don't pretend to be the only game in town. We're pretty fond of ourselves, but or a similar comprehensive criteria to which it holds itself accountable, including an accountability system. And by the way, we have an accountability system. So any member of the public, any member of the profession, anyone anywhere can, can complain against an NAATP member. That complaint comes in through our, uh, uh, a very thorough form. And uh, we begin the process of analyzing that and taking it to committee. And we don't act uh, foolishly, but we do act. And we've even suspended some folks until they fixed a thing. And they fixed it. That's the best outcome of all. This is what the Resource Center page that you're going to go to looks like. So if you're only getting the um, orange bar, that's the public bar, you've got to log in so that you get the gray bar, because that's the, um, that's the member section. <coughs> Pardon me. And then that drop down uh, takes you to all of your resources. You know, all of these sessions will be recorded and up on, online. You know, uh, uh, last year's sessions are still up there. On your seats this morning was our newsletter. This is the most recent newsletter. This is kind of our 40th anniversary newsletter. We've put the treatment selection guide in here. There's some other information on discernment and the quality assurance initiative and all the things we're doing. This is a member only uh, benefit. And you get hard copy and electronic copy each quarter. Um, and all of them are searchable within the database. You simply sign in and you can find old, uh, previous, not old, uh, versions of it. And so we're working really hard to improve that publication as well. Don't forget that all NAATP members, by virtue of their membership, can have a subscription to uh, ADAW, Alcoholism and Drug Abuse Weekly. Alcoholism and Drug Abuse Weekly is an excellent publication. It is not an advertisement publication. It looks very old-fashioned in its, in its production, but it's fabulous. Um, 
uh, it covers the stuff that's really going on. If you're a clinician or an executive level person, or perhaps just any line staff, I, I'm not even sure why I would distinguish those, you should be reading ADAW. It comes in your inbox every Monday. Sometimes Allison doesn't get it out until Tuesday. But the readership is not big, but it's, this is like, this is the high level stuff. This is what you should re be reading about in terms of policy advocacy and substantive clinical practices and operational practices. And, and, and so um, there's an opt-in function within our organization. We, it, costs, it costs us a lot of money to get these subscriptions out to you, so we don't want to give them to you if you're not going to read them. So you have to opt in. But if you're a member, go into the site and opt in to receive ADAW, and I really encourage you to make it a practice. This is the kind of professional scholarly literature. I, it, you know, it's not peer-reviewed scholarly literature, but it's, it's substantive stuff that, that raises the level of practice, right? If you're a neuroscientist, if you're, if you're Annie Peters, you're reading the latest reports on the psychology of addiction treatment to see who's come up with something. And, um, and that's what we need to be doing, too. That's the higher level of professional activity. So I really want to promote ADAW, and I'm glad that we offer that as a benefit. This business of getting scattered and losing our way keeps us, away, keeps us from doing the right thing. So I'm going to return to John Oliver. So I got 20, what, 23 and 3 emails and texts this morning about what are we going to do about John Oliver. We're not going to do anything about John Oliver. There's no problem with John Oliver. He's a funny guy. Um, I'm going to talk to the producer and say, God, we'd sure love it if you'd do a st story on, on the good work that's being done and that there is a place to find treatment. But here's what they said. They put our logo up there. And just by that, by that it, it makes us proud. Um, our, new, our new branded logo, it looks great. Um, they put our logo up there, and they said, even the National Trade Association that manages this work acknowledges that there are significant problems in some sectors of the field. That's a good answer. That's the good answer. You know what would have been a problem? We contacted the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers, and they said everything's fine. Because then we'd be hiding the truth. Right? It's OK to speak the truth. It's OK to hear the truth. It's OK to hear the bad stuff. You're not the bad guys. And it's, it's horrible that we get smeared, but it's, but it's a legitimate criticism of the bad guy. So stay focused, you know. You can, this, just can, this can be an impossible task to go to work every day and hear this stuff and just feel miserable. You know, uh, let's get our big boy and big girl pants on and do this thing, right? And, and, and if we stay focused on this concept of a community and that the ultimate outcome is recovery and that that means the ability to transform a human being from sick to well, we're going to do the right stuff. And I really believe that, and I know that you all do, too. That's it for this morning. I'm going to let you go to break, and then we're going to come back and talk about outcomes and be kind to each other. Thank you. Thank you.